Is it okay to toot your own horn to let people know that you're good at something or that you're special in some way? Some people think that's okay, but not everyone. How will they interpret your message? Or what if they came from a culture that expects self-promotion? They might think less of you for not doing it. Hi, I'm Roz, and I specialize in helping people present the type of brand and communication styles that showcase excellence in leadership, team management, and virtual presence. In this podcast, I'm joined once again by Steve Prentice. Hi, Roz. Steve is an expert in business technology and workplace behavior, and today we're going to talk about the art of self-promotion. Ross, this is such a vital topic these days because people are feeling so much more disconnected than ever. And not just because of COVID, but because of so much communication is now done through email and video chat technologies that don't have that true, real human connection. And that's what people really need to establish when they're looking for relationships of trust. Steve, that's right. And that's why I'm going to give away one of the big secrets right here at the start. The best way to tell people how great you are is to add the words for them at the end of your thinking process. It's about how to make sure you tell people how great you are for them. And as you just mentioned, Steve, our world has largely moved online in the past year. And it's going to be that way moving forward. Maybe it's switched over to virtual quicker than we thought. But all the same, people were already starting to learn how to relate to each other online. And even when we return to a next normal someday, whatever that looks like, when we can once again meet for coffee or lunch or visit a potential customer's own office space, would that be wonderful? We will still need to be able to convey the right message and style, regardless of whether the person is in front of you or on a screen. And that means being able to communicate your collection of positive attributes in a short period of time. So let me ask you, do you want to appear credible, reliable, professional, approachable, and worthy of someone's time in their business? Of course. Somehow you have to wrap all of that up in a way that doesn't make it sound like you're just bragging or sharing some sort of canned self-introduction. Guess what? You have to be able to tell people how great you are, as painful as that might sound to some of you. Ah, and you'll probably want to keep that brief and memorable, and that's quite an art to do both those things. You know, Steve, it's not as hard as it sounds, actually. Back in the day, we used to talk a lot about the elevator speech. Do you remember that? Yes, and it's worth expanding on that a little here for two reasons. The first is there's the concept of the elevator speech itself. There was a time before there were video screens in elevators, and people just stood there and stared at their shoes because they didn't have their attention captivated by a screen. And I think that's a big deal because that's where a lot of people actually did practice and deliver their elevator speech because they could. It was a really powerful thing back then, and it still can be today, even if there's no elevator involved, just two people meeting in the street even. Yes, exactly, Steve. It was a short self-description that you could prepare and practice in advance. So if someone in the elevator asked you, so what do you do? You could give them a little bit of a summary in the time it took for the elevator to get you all the way down to the ground floor. Now, the elevator speech isn't out of date. It's as important now as it has ever been, whether you use it in an actual elevator or anywhere that you're meeting people and you need a quick self-introduction. 
It's about being able to make a great impression in a short period of time. You want to tell someone how great you are without sounding like it's just one big brag. The best elevator descriptions are ones that deliver information with anywhere from, I'd say, 15 seconds to 60 seconds. And you don't want it to appear that you memorized it. But here's the kicker. Even though it's about you, it shouldn't be about you. You want it to sound like it's crafted around the listener and their challenges or needs that the person might have in terms of improving themselves and their business. Yes, and that's where my second point comes in here, the term elevator speech itself or even elevator pitch. That's a largely a North American term, and some people think it comes across as very salesy. And that, again, is very important if you are based in other cultures or if you are working with people from other countries who might not like or even want a direct in-your-face sales pitch. But honestly, I think we have to separate these terms here, these concepts. The elevator speech is not about hard selling. It's about informing someone about yourself and establishing a relationship. And yeah, tooting your own horn a little bit. And if the term elevator speech is off-putting, I can understand that. Some people call it an elevator pitch. But this is about mere semantics here. Overall, we need to think about this as a self-introduction that can be delivered in the time an elevator takes to get to the ground floor. And people everywhere need to be able to do that. And yeah, it's one of those things you do actually have to think about and plan. So if somebody asks you, you know, so what do you do? Rather than just simply saying the immediate thing that comes to mind, you have something that is complete and thorough and impressive. You know what I find interesting, Steve? I think when someone says, what do you do? They really want to know, why do I want to know you? I think that's really what the question is. So elevator description should never be spoken without having practiced it first. Yeah. And when you do this right, you'll have the ability to talk about them would also put you in a really great light. I totally agree. I mean, I've been doing this myself for many years as well, but obviously now you have this additional layer. You're giving people permission to say how great they are. So how does that work? Actually, I have a list. I have seven steps you can take to tell people how great you are in a way that works for them, that makes you feel comfortable. All right? Okay. Number one, toot your own horn, but keep it in tune. I think there's nothing wrong with letting people know what you're great at. By the way, I heard someone once say to me, if you're really good at what you do, it's not boasting. And I love that comment. I've learned not to minimize my expertise. But on the other hand, if you ask me to analyze anything with financial figures, it's going to be a disaster. So no, what makes you stand out? Why do people seek you out for advice? And if you want to play it safe, as I just mentioned about my lack of financial savvy, you can use some self-effacing comments about areas that you're not really strong in, but never, never minimize your true strengths. Okay, so it's about being selective, right? Choosing those key strengths, but putting that in the perspective that you're not excellent at everything. Now, that seems to go a long way to establishing credibility. I think part of the problem comes when people make it sound like they're the best in everything. They have no equal. They're the best salespeople, best marketers, the best strategists. That's where self-confidence turns into arrogance, which is a real turnoff. And really, no matter how good you actually are at something, I suggest don't compare yourself to others, but know your strengths. 
I see a great attractiveness in meeting someone who can describe something that they're good at, but at the same time making themselves stay approachable by being that transparent. Absolutely. Second, it helps to frame from an outsider's perspective. Use social proof, or as I refer to it as testimonials. Include a short reference about how other people have found you great, such as winning an award or being asked back to work on a second project. Brag humbly, or as I like to call it, humble bragging. I love that term. I'd never heard it until recently. I think it's a very nice term to say exactly that. It's humble bragging, and that's fantastic. I think I would also want to add to that, Roz, that you can send or ask people to send testimonials to your LinkedIn profile. Now, as you know, I, I'm a big proponent of LinkedIn. I have been for years. I think it's an excellent place to further that message, and it's on 24-7 too. So if you have past customers or managers or clients or colleagues who can send a testimonial to your profile, that's a really great way of adding to your credibility, especially since people who are interested in you are pretty much going to go to LinkedIn and check you out anyway. And then you can always refer back to those comments in your elevator speech. And when you frame things like this from other people's perspective, it helps to add some humility and gratitude to your statement, perhaps appearing a little surprised or honored at other people's admiration of you. Or straight up ask the person you're talking to, hey, I hope you don't mind if I say this about myself. Yeah, that's a good idea. This is a very powerful tool because... If they say it's fine, you now have permission to brag. If they're not so into it, they kind of shrug, and it gives you the chance to stop or perhaps change your approach without offending them. But my preference personally is testimonials. And then when I began my business, it was very awkward for me to tell people all my accomplishments. What I would do, though, is mention what certain clients have said about the work. And, and that made me feel safe and it made me feel that I was speaking with integrity. Okay, so what's tip number three? Keep it brief. Nobody wants to hear a speech that goes on forever, but they do want to hear something interesting. All the best speeches are short speeches. This is becoming increasingly important as people have less and less time and attention to spare. So when people ask me what I do, I simplify it by saying, you know, when people have difficulty branding or promoting themselves, I help them to showcase their value and differentiate themselves so they no longer have competition. That energizes the person to ask for more information. So aside from being brief, make a statement that inspires people's curiosity. You want them to say, tell me more. Just stepping away from the conversation for a moment here to remind you that earlier episodes of Roz's podcast, including interviews with business experts, as well as her own extensive knowledge base, are all available at usherov.com. That's U-S-H-E-R-O-F-F.com under the podcast link. You can also subscribe through iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Roz on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and links to those channels are also on the website. And finally, if you are interested in customized virtual training in executive presence, communication, leadership, or conducting a compelling meeting, please reach out to Kathy, C-A-T-H-Y, at usheroff.com, and she will be delighted to set up a meeting. And now, back to our conversation. 
Okay, so now how about doing all of this virtual? Because for many of us, it's been a long time since we last stepped into a real elevator or had the chance to shake hands with somebody and deliver our speech in person. So have you seen anything different or are there any other techniques about doing this on screen? My fourth point is in this virtual world, you need to show up in, in the best way possible to make a real connection with someone. So prepare to be seen and look your best. Next, you want to sound natural and spontaneous. And when that happens, your facial gestures, your body language, you're all going to, it's going to appear very natural. It gives you a real chance to make more eye contact too. When you're trying to remember something like a memorized elevator speech, your eyes will inevitably move around. It's a reflex that happens when your brain is searching for the words. It's really important. It is essential when you're talking with someone that true eye contact is made. And that's doubly important in the online world of remote meetings. You must remember to look at the eye of the camera. Unfortunately, you can't look at the person on the screen because they may be below. You want to make them believe that you're looking directly at them. And as I've mentioned in other podcasts, you need to look at the eye of the camera as if the person you're talking to is sitting right there. Yes, that's a difficult one for people because instinctively we want to make that eye contact and you really have to overrule that instinct to look at the camera rather than the faces on the screens, especially when you are concentrating on what you want to say. So do you have any techniques to help make this easier? I'd like to suggest put a picture of your dog, your kids, a happy face above the camera to remind you that when you first start talking... You have to look at the eye of the camera so you won't forget. And if you have several people in your virtual room and someone asks you a question, always start looking at the eye of the camera. Look around the screen because you want to read micro expressions, but go back to the eye of the camera to end your answer. Often I see people supposedly talking to me, but they look like they're looking at the window or watching Netflix in another room or reading emails. People disconnect or they're going to multitask if they believe that you're not looking at them, even if you're talking to the group. It's definitely the case that having a prepared self-introduction frees you up to be more relaxed. And I have found this makes it easier to smile and to convey some additional positive vibes through facial expressions. So what are your thoughts about putting on that happy face? It's not about plastering a fake one on your face, please. That's not what I mean. It's about being genuine, that you're happy to see the person. And you've got to smile with your eyes, too. If it's just your mouth, it's not going to look natural. It'll certainly look artificial. By the way, begin your meetings with a smile and a wave, which is the new universal handshake. And see how quickly others copy you. You're going to look approachable and confident. Oh, I want to add something to that as well, by the way, in that it's an interesting fact about smiling itself that it is indeed a full-faced activity. People often think that when someone says smile, like a photographer, all they have to do is tighten up their facial muscles a little bit and bend their mouth a little bit to become a smile. But that's not a real smile. A genuine smile is a full-faced thing. Your eyes crease and your whole face turns into the warmth of a smile. So when people do try to smile for a photograph and they only use those muscles around the mouth... The eyes never change, and it's, that's why it's easy to spot an insincere smile, because the eyes are never, never moving. They're actually giving away the true neutral emotion. So whether you're just nervous about the camera or nervous about the person that you're meeting, 
how can you make this happen? You have to practice. Just practice a full-faced smile in the mirror. So when you meet somebody, let yourself think about the actual genuine joy or intrigue about meeting this new person. It's an experience. It's part of your life, a new part of your life. You can feel the joy, and that will then show in your face. I absolutely agree with you. I'm laughing, Steve, because I think that I've earned my pros feet from smiling so much. Let me go to the fifth one. Make your description be about them. One of my heroes over the years has been the author Harvey McKay. He's written dozens of books about professional relationships. And so much of his philosophy comes back to the key connection point. What can you do for other people? When you meet someone at a networking event, for example, it's easy to talk too much about yourself and listen too little to the person you're meeting. Harvey McKay has often said the best way to be remembered as a great conversationalist is to talk less and listen more. And the best way to impress people with how great you are is actually to ask them what you could do for them rather than tell them what you think they need. I would love to recommend his book, by the way, Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty. It's a classic in this area of networking and communicating. I, I relate that story to a gentleman by the name of Tom Stoyden from Canada, who was a master sales trainer and coach. And every time I would be on the phone with him, he would tell me whatever our conversation was encompassing, he would always say at the end, how could I help you, Ross? It always touched my heart. So this really resonates with making people feel that you care to help and make a difference. So tip number six? Is target the pain point. And, and this means for situations when you know in advance who you're going to be talking to, like in a meeting or an interview, a little research can go a long way. There are no shortcuts to doing the right homework. And this is not just for your elevator description. It's also for opportunities where you have to meet someone uh, and, and carry on a meaningful discussion. So take the time beforehand, find out what you could learn about their challenges in terms of their business. If you can weave it into your self-description, all the better. You never want to come out and say, oh, I know you have problems with X, Y, Z, but you could still refer to their source of problems in your self-description. And this is really the fastest way to connect with people, to acknowledge their pain with grace, with respect. And it also shows that you have empathy for them. So here's an example, if you're wondering, what does that look like? If people say, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. For me, I now, in my intros, discuss how I address customers' challenges with building virtual rapport, communicating in a succinct, concise way to be more compelling, engaging in virtual meetings. And that's really what customers now are looking to address. We've spoken about some topics here of how to share information to humble brag and to talk to people about their own particular interest as well. Are these techniques universal? I mean, obviously a smile is pretty universal as a symbol of friendship and humanity. But as I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, not all cultures embrace the idea of self-promotion in the same way. So what would you do about that? Such an important question, Steve. When you're building your self-promotional statements, what is the culture like? Did you notice, by the way, how much attention I'm giving to the fact that these self-promotional statements are very carefully built? They're not just off-the-cuff remarks. It's really important to make sure you're striking a balance between showing what you're capable of, 
addressing what you think the other person's needs are and fitting into the culture so you don't come across as either bragging too much or not enough. You may have grown up in a culture where emphasizing humility and modesty is very important. So you know best what's appropriate. Now, in some countries, self-promotion is more acceptable than others. If this is difficult for you and you think it has phony showboating, you could reframe your approach inside a concept of personal branding. So it comes across as making a difference and helping your company. So would having a mentor or a coach help? Maybe someone who could critique your delivery to make sure it comes across sincerely? Getting trusted advice from a mentor to understand the best way to showcase your magic, as I like to say it, would be very helpful. And you might consider getting sponsors and asking them to share your achievements. That's a really good way where you don't have to feel that you have to push yourself out of your comfort zone. Again, there's no shame in asking for help or sponsorship. What it really comes down to, in my opinion, Steve, is how do you define the word great? Let's look at the title of this podcast again, How to Tell People How Great You Are. People who do nothing but show off, talking endlessly about how wonderful they are, don't listen, they're going to technically maybe be correct in in how they see themselves, but I don't think other people will see them in the same light. And leaving a bad impression, it's going to be very difficult to repair. But when you describe yourself in the context of their position, their company, or their industry that the other person is involved with, with references to your experience, but in a way that doesn't come across as straight up bragging. This gives your conversation partner the opportunity to define and see great for themselves from their own vantage point. Okay, so the last part of this then, point number seven, other methods for communicating how great you are through the written word. Uh, We've already talked about LinkedIn to some degree, but at some time you may want to send a document, maybe a resume or some other form of self-description, or maybe you want to point someone towards your website. What I would like to suggest is that people think about the way that they put these types of documents together. And once again, it's not just about listing past employers or past clients or even past accomplishments. We have to factor in that for them concept that you mentioned earlier. What does this document mean for them? It has to show your potential. I think, as well as your past. And as you said earlier, Roz, when you tell the truth, it's not boasting. So let's close here with a bottom line statement. What would be the key takeaway for people when they're thinking about how to do this, how to tell people how great they are without going over the top? I really feel, quite frankly, it's simple. Practice, rehearse, record yourself, ask friends, here's how I'm going to introduce myself. What are your thoughts? You know, getting secondhand opinions is really a good idea. And when people say after you've introduced yourself or you shared some of your accomplishments, if you hear people say, wow, tell me more, you know, it's a home run. And by the way, I've been in my business for over 24 years. And and what I, I really like to do where I can, especially if I'm doing a presentation, if I can get someone to introduce me, I will prepare it so that people will explain my accomplishments. But I, I do it very realistically, because if I make it like I'm better than life itself, it's going to skyrocket expectations from my audience. I'll never be able to meet them. So I feel just being honest, clear, telling you know what you feel you're strongest at, your, your greatest strengths, there's no shame in that. But also feel comfortable letting other people sponsor you. 
And, and I, I remember hearing a great saying, it was by Will Rogers. And he said, get others to toot your horn and the sound will carry twice as far. So I thought I'd leave you with that note when you build good rapport with people and they can showcase you as well. It's just a pleasure. The great thing about that Will Rogers quote is that it is succinct and powerful, which is what this whole episode has been about. So the idea here is you can be comfortable and proud of the things that you are describing about yourself, but again, your body language and smile, carefully curated to show that combination of pride and humility, these are the things that will go a long way in furthering that positive first impression. So as always, Roz, you have delivered some really powerful and career-furthering techniques and ideas for people, things they can practice and take on and do. Just going to summarize them very quickly here. You said, number one, toot your own horn, but keep it in tune. Number two, frame your message from their perspective. Number three, keep it brief. Number four, practice this for your virtual online presence too. Number five, make your description always be about them. Number six, target the pain point if you can. And number seven, of course, carry these techniques onto the printed or written word, resumes, websites, and other kinds of documents. Overall, I think this is an art. It's great fun to perfect this over time, and uh, I certainly can testify to its amazing effectiveness. So, Roz, thank you so much for your guidance and your wisdom once again. Thank you, Steve. It's always a pleasure to have you as my interviewer. Until next time, I'm Roz. Thanks for listening and stay safe. <laughs>